Good morning. Good morning. My name is Drew. I'm the pastor here at Hope and excited to open the scriptures with you today and uh, hopefully be encouraged. I'm very encouraged. This is a, a fun passage today that's uh, really at the heart of, of what we believe uh, as Christians. And so I think it'll be hopefully a helpful uh, passage. First, though, I do need to announce uh, the last two weekends. Two weekends ago, we had our um, women's retreat at Arrowhead and the uh, gentleman just got back last night from our retreat and one of the things that happened there with lots of hanging out and doing things was that they had an escape room. Uh, and that's a timed event. Who could escape the room the fastest? Which means that um, there were a group of women or men who were the fastest. And for some of you, I know it's very important to know who, uh, I want to say one, I guess we'll say one, who won that competition. I will say um, we're at the men's retreat Friday night and I mentioned that we're doing this. And I said, the women have set the, uh, there's a group of women from Heights who set the camp record, the fastest escape out of the whole year at camp so far. And it was a, a number that camp said, we don't know how they did it that fast. And very quickly, a group of men said, no problem. Well, that was a lie. Because the women, <laughs> by, eight, by eight minutes, the women still hold the camp record. So give it up for our women who... Um, <clears throat> I was told it was Dr. Julia's group. So your group still holds the record for 28 minutes, which is designed for like an hour. So they destroyed it. So we did have gentlemen who I think, I think it's the second fastest time, 36 minutes. Is that right, guys? Um, so that was really a great effort. Uh, and you, you gave it your all. Good work. Uh, we'll get, a, get them next time. Uh, we had a really great time. Uh, both weekends heard great things. And at the end of Actually, end of our uh, sermon here, we're going to have an opportunity even to just, I think, be blessed by some of what came about our time uh, there as well. Um, a person that I uh, am thankful for, but that I uh, someday will probably meet, uh, is Martin Luther, who is, uh, uh, I'll actually share a little bit about who Martin Luther is. You probably have heard the name Martin Luther, or maybe you heard the name Martin Luther King, who actually is named after uh, Martin Luther. Uh, his dad is, and then his dad actually changed his own name and his son's name uh, after he heard the work that Martin Luther had done. Martin Luther was a uh, German uh, monk, Catholic monk, who is uh, one of the people who is responsible for the Reformation, which uh, some of you know, this week was Reformation Day. Uh, over 500 years ago, Martin Luther nailed um, some a document to this door that was kind of the bulletin board of the community, this church with his 95 theses, things that he wants the church to consider, reform. Um, and ultimately, it was out of a story of his own heart changing. And the passage that we're reading today is actually one of the like key passages that really has uh, helped him and has changed really the church and the world after uh, the Reformation happens. The, uh, the heart of it ultimately is that we're saved by our faith in Christ and his work and not the work that we do. Um, it's one of the things that was so uh, important to Luther and to us. And so it's so important that instead of the church reforming and changing, it actually created like a whole new um, group of churches, which are called Protestant churches, named after the word protest, Protestant churches. And we're part of that history of churches who still want to hold to Scripture and, and to the truth that uh, our salvation and our hope comes in our faith in what Jesus has done and our hope in Jesus. And so Luther nails those up there uh, uh, 500 years ago. This is my favorite dad joke in the world. <laughs> There's many layers to it. Uh, and 
it changed history. And so he's a person I love to meet and just learn more about as I've read about him and his own struggles. Uh, and I, I, today I want, I think this passage today, it's helpful to consider um, what got him to this point to saying, I, I'm actually a, a monk, like I'm giving my life to the service of this church. And I feel so strongly that uh, it, the d- direction is so wrong that actually they're really misreading scripture so poorly. It's changing people's lives. It's really hurting people. And uh, how does he get there? Well, how he gets there is that he felt the uh, weight as he continued to read scripture and through a certain lens where scripture is telling him, you're not doing enough. You're not doing enough. You're not doing enough. Uh, he felt the, the overwhelming weight of that, the condemnation from that. And so Luther actually, as he met with mentors, um, teachers told him that he should fast and pray and work more for his salvation, that he should do harder work to be more spiritual. And he felt some of the weight, a lot of the weight of that, to the point he actually um, spent three years seeking kind of holiness, and he would shut himself up in a, in a cell in a room with just water and a little bit of food, and he would fast and go through different religious um, practices, trying to seek holiness. Ultimately, like at times he would say he was trying to like relieve himself of that weight that just like held him down the chains that he felt he had on him. Um, and that no matter what he did, he couldn't, he couldn't find it. He actually says, if a monk got to heaven by monkery, I would have gotten there. <laughs> He's like, I was a really good monk. I did everything and I still could not shake this condemnation, this weight that was on me. I could feel that I've done something wrong and I cannot fix it. I can't do enough to make God happy. This is an image of a story of him actually that he collapsed and people rushed in his room um, to see what was going on because he was so weak uh, and just felt like if I could fast enough, if I could even hurt myself enough, that it would somehow make up for all the sin that I've done. And so he was in that place, and then he discovered the truth that we get to, we get to rediscover today and every day as we remember the gospel. If we feel that weight, I can't find my salvation and find that way. So he actually says, uh, I torment myself to death to procure peace with God for my troubled heart and my agitated conscience, but I was surrounded by horrible darkness. I could find no peace nowhere. He, he, he feels that he has a troubled heart. I love agitated conscience. I like, that's a cool phrase. And he said, I, I, I tried, I tried, I tried, and all I found was darkness, horrible darkness, and could not find peace. That actually might be a feeling that you have, maybe not to that extent. Uh, you might not use those uh, adjectives or um, feel that strong, but I f- would guess we all have felt this, right? We are people who are in a fallen world who feel brokenness, and are very aware at times of our own brokenness or maybe or even told about how broken we are. And so we feel this weight on us. I think many, many times we try many things. How can I relieve myself of this troubled heart, of this broken heart, of this weight, of this condemnation, of this sentence, death sentence that I feel uh, on myself? And so Luther felt that and something changed to the point where he said, this is not what the church is called to. And he nailed those up there and changed the church forever. Uh, And that is our hope today is to be reminded of that good news uh, that we see here in Romans 8. We are in a series in Romans. Um, We're in the second part of it. We'll be going through Romans all the way till into next summer. 
Um, and we're in the second part that we're calling this section, second section that goes through eight, how do we live then? And so what does it look like to understand the gospel, this good news that we are broken people who deserve death, but this grace has come to rescue us from it. And so what does it start looking like to actually live real life in that? And especially here in eight, we're going to look at this this struggle we have of our flesh and sin in our life as the same time that God's spirit is in our life and this, what it looks like right now to live within that. So there's lots of resources we have uh, in Romans. If you'd like to check those out on our app or website. Uh, and there's also Romans journals. We still have some of these, I think. So if you want to, it's the book of Romans with some uh, blank pages. If you want to follow along or take notes or use it as a way of devotional, we'd love for you to take that. That's out on our communion tables. Uh, but we're going to hop right into it. We are in Romans 8. Let me just walk us into it in Romans 7. So if you have a Bible you like to follow along or uh, use a, a phone or all the, all the scripture uh, will be up here on the screen. We're going to start in 7. This is where we were last week. And 7 is a place where it, it kind of feels like um, Paul, the guy who wrote this, is a letter to people who live in Rome in the church there. He's writing this letter and it kind of, it all builds up to this moment it's seven where it feels like if all the things are true in one and two and three and four and five and six, then you get to this moment where you go, what am I supposed to do? And so if it's true that in one that we hear about that we are people who have sinned against God, turned away from a holy God, uh, um, really treason against him and our sentence for that is death, then we're in a really rough spot. But then we hear this great news that, that we are in this spot, whether we're a Jewish religious person or we're a Gentile uh, who's not a Jewish person, whoever we are, all people have had the opportunity to see God's goodness and turn to him and worship him. And we've said no. And so we deserve uh, really our consequence for that. But God has come in his grace. And we hear this word grace over and over then of this grace that abounds, that God has come and said, I am gonna though send my son who will step in the way and take that punishment that you deserve. You did, you deserve it, but I'm going to take it. And that's this good news of grace that we hear. This is the gospel that we hear. Uh, and so we hear that. And then in six, we start getting this, this uh, understanding. We go, well, then if that's true, I could just keep sinning because Jesus' grace will keep abounding. And then, and then Paul reminds us, no, 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 it's not. That way you're actually changed. He comes and changes your heart and changes who you no longer want to sin. Uh, and then as we go through six, it's so good. It's so real because Paul starts saying, but then I still feel that though. I keep doing, as he says here in seven, eventually, I know that's true. I deserve death and Jesus has brought grace and saved me. He went to a cross and died so I didn't have to. And now I find myself in this moment that is true, but also I live in this body that still does things I don't want it to do. And a mind that still thinks things I don't want it to do. And a heart that still desires things I don't want it to do. And so we find this, this kind of crescendo of all these things come together. And music swells and we get... Romans 7 here where it says, so I find this law at work, although I want to do good, evil is right there with me. For in my inner being, I delight in God's law, but I see another law at work in me, waging war against the law of my mind and making me a prisoner of the law of sin at work with me. So he's saying just, he's just sharing the reality of like, there still is this war that feels like it's going on inside me. I, I still don't feel the effects of sin around me. It hasn't all been just cleared up. Uh, how, how does this work? What's going on? And then this this proclamation, what a wretched man I am. I even, I know the Lord and I still feel these things. I can imagine Luther in his cell saying this phrase, well, how wretched am I, God? I'm trying so hard and I still don't feel the peace. I, I want to figure out how to make it so that everything is right with you. 
and you say, who will rescue me from this body that is subject to death? You get to a point of like, I've tried everything. What's left? And we get this fantastic news. Thanks be to God who delivers me through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Again, the reminder, what am I supposed to do? Thanks be to God, Jesus delivers us from this. So then I myself, in my mind, am a slave to God's law, but in sinful nature, a slave to the law of sin. And Romans 8 now after today is going to really get into this battle between flesh and spirit and some of what that looked like. We're going to get, to get to really discover that together. And today, Paul just makes a proclamation. We say we're wretched. Oh, we're sinful people. I need rescue. Who's going to rescue me? Who's going to fix this? And Luther's sitting in his cell going, I'm trying. I'm praying more. I'm fasting more. God, I still feel like I'm in darkness and there's no peace. And Paul reminds us, well, there is therefore, if this is true, Christ has come to rescue us. There is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. It's like, it's like Paul's writing to Luther sitting in that cell and he's writing to me driving in my car as I feel this. For God has done what the law weakened by the flesh could not do. That Paul, your flesh is weak. You couldn't do it. By sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh for sin, he condemns sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us, who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. I'm going to read this one more time. I'm going to read it from the message. Uh, it's actually wild. The message is twice as long. <laughs> this is just a paraphrased version of the Bible that Eugene Peterson wrote, but it just gives kind of modern language to it. Again, just so we keep sitting in this Incredible truth that we're going to read today. These four verses, long four verses. With the arrival of Jesus, the Messiah, that faithful dilemma is resolved. Those who enter into Christ being here for us no longer have to live under a continuous low-lying black cloud. A great way to describe condemnation. A new power is in operation. The spirit of life in Christ, like a strong wind, has magnificently cleared the air freeing you from a faded lifetime of brutal tyranny at the hands of sin and death. God went for the jugular when he sent his own son. He didn't deal with the problem as something remote and unimportant. In his son, Jesus, he personally took on the human condition, entered the disordered mess of struggling humanity in order to set it right once and for all. The law code weakened as it always was by the fractured human nature could never have done that. The law always ended up being used as a band-aid on sin, instead of a deep healing of it. And now what the law code asked for, but we couldn't deliver is accomplished as we, instead of redoubling our own efforts, simply embrace what the Spirit is doing in us. Went for the jugular. I like it. All right, let's just take some time to walk through this four verses together, uh, unpack it, and then I'm, hopefully we will be encouraged uh, at the end to be reminded that we don't have to sit in our cell working harder, feeling the weight of condemnation on us. And I think this is a, a very real everyday thing. We are, if not feeling the weight, worried about when it's going to strike. I said the wrong thing. I did the wrong thing. And I am terrible. And what can I do to make that right? So we start here. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. A couple important words here are the word now. And no, and condemnation, 
The word now is really interesting here. This is one where I think if, if you're not careful, you might say, well, there's no condemnation for me. Condemnation being uh, this punishment uh, that comes from our guilty sentence, the actual like consequence of it. There's actually a punishment for you because you have done something, which is true. We are guilty, but we, are not, we do not get the condemnation of it. And the word now here is interesting because sometimes we might think, oh, that's because one day I'll, I'm going to die and then I'll get to go to heaven. And at that point, the judge will not say, you don't get to go to heaven. But Paul here makes it pretty clear. He says, now, actually today, this truth of the gospel today can change you, will change you. That condemnation is off of you. Luther's sitting in his cell. He doesn't have to wait for a day. It says today that can be lifted off of you. That low-lying cloud can, can dissipate away from you. Uh, Martin Lloyd-Jones says this might be uh, most of our troubles are due to our failure to realize the truth of this verse. If we woke up every day and believed that right now there is no condemnation for me, that the punishment that was coming to me is no longer coming, it would change our lives. Our trouble would change for sure. That's how important this is, I think. Uh, many have felt the same. Condemnation, again, uh, just as a definition, the term condemnation does not denote merely a pronunciation of sin. It's not just saying, hey, you did something, it's, it's wrong, it wasn't what God had intended, but it's actually also the punishment. It's, it's the sentence that's laid on a guilty person, which is uh, really important to understand. It's as if you were sentenced to death. You, they said, yes, you've done these things, you've turned away from the Lord, you, you have You've ran after created things and not the creator. And we hear in Romans that the, se- the sentence for that, the payment for that is death. And they march you out to execute you because your sentence is death. And you arrive at the gallows and nobody's there. It's empty. You just hear wind and you go, where is everybody? And they say, somebody already did it for you. Somebody already gave their life for you. The gallows are empty because the payment has already been taken. You can go home now. The payment's done. It would, cha- it would change your life, right? You'd go, I deserve that and it's been taken. It would be a, I like have a, it'd be the moment you tell stories to your grandkids and say, that was the moment my life changed. It gave me a very different perspective. I woke up every day, a different person going, I should be dead and I'm not. We uh, were studying this passage this week, a group of staff members, and someone said, this is when the confetti would go off if we were reading Romans all together. If we were reading this together, just the book, we'd say there's no condemnation, and then there'd be like cannons that shot in the stage. And like music would play, and everyone would go, yes, it's true. It's true. So when Luther would kick his door open in his cell, and he'd come on and he'd go, do you guys know this incredible news? It's true. Streamers and confetti. There's no condemnation. This is unbelievable. The amount of my life I spend trying to shake it off or not get more because of what I do or say or worry about. It's incredible, this news. I love this. I love this image because of the image behind the image. What an incredible image. You see a cross hung a little bit higher. Uh, Let's keep moving here. So that's true. Uh, Paul continues to explain what that is. For the law of the spirit of life has set you free. So there is a law that's not the law of sin and death, but the law of the spirit of God. This Jesus has come in Jesus has set us free from this. For God has done what the law weakened by flesh 
could not do. He's given us these new hearts. He's changed us from people who were uh, deathly people uh, to new people. This is an old, old promise in Scripture that we see throughout all of Scripture. But one, one of my faves is this, this image in Ezekiel 36, where God tells his people, I will give you a new heart and a new spirit. I'll put, I will put it within you. And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. He goes from a stony, hard heart. I love that image to a, a flesh heart, like a beating, live heart. And I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. Remember that part. It's actually, this passage of Paul's is very similar to this passage. This is a long time before Paul's writing that. And God says, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to make a way so that you could have new hearts. I'm going to make a way so that you, there'd be no condemnation, that you'd be cleansed of that and you'd come alive. And that because that in that new life, you would walk in my ways because you have a new life. What an incredible promise. And we see this fulfilled in the life of Jesus. We see a new heart given to us. Hopefully you, I never get sick of telling the story of my heart surgery, but I can't not read that passage and think of my own moment in my life. A moment in my life where I um, had open heart surgery now, eight years ago, seven years ago, a moment where they actually, so I've never looked this up to this week. They actually used a machine. This is what it looks like. Well, if you Google bypass machine is what a bypass machine looks like. A machine they actually hooked my heart up to, turned my heart off, and this machine was my heart for a little while while they fixed my heart, and then they turned my heart back on. I'm sure that's more technical than that, uh, but that's as much as I need to know. <laughs> I get a little queasy thinking about more than that. It's incredible. They put me on this machine. There was this moment where they went, we're going to fix your heart so that instead of it not working right, and for, in my case, my heart was um, a, lot, a lot bigger. It was like a, a bigger than it should have been because I was working really hard and struggling. And so it had like expanded. And they uh, put me on this machine. They fixed my heart for a couple hours. They flipped this, who knows, whatever they do, undid something. And my heart turned back on. So it was pumping it, its own blood and its own body and my own brain. In that moment, my doctor held my heart in his hands and he said my heart shrunk. It went from stressed and bigger than it should be, not even always pumping the right way. It was only getting part of the blood to my body. And then all of a sudden he turns my heart on and he said, I was holding your heart in my hands and it shrunk and, and relaxed is what he said in his hands. Is that not the greatest image? This is what we get. This is, this is the gospel. This is what not living in condemnation looks like. A new heart, a freedom we've been given where God does surgery on our hearts and it, it rests finally. We go, whew. He, he holds it in his hands and he goes from a stony heart to a flesh heart. We can take a breath. It's incredible. How, how does this happen? Paul tells us next, by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh. And for sin, he condemns sin in the flesh. This is the hard part, that someone had to be condemned for this. There was a, a violation. There was treason. There was sin. That's owed death. And so in one sentence, Paul tells us, God sends his own son in the flesh. In the, he, 
the incarnation of Jesus. Very soon we're going to celebrate this incredible day that Jesus is born and comes. He comes and the angels sing and the shepherds sing and Mary sings because they know this person has come in the flesh to take on that punishment that we should be taking on in our flesh. A person who actually can in the flesh do the work to end this. And so the condemnation does come, but not to us, but to Christ. He takes it. But he doesn't just die. Thankfully, we know the great cost of his condemnation. He still has the power to redeem, to be risen from the dead. I, I think that's so important also to consider, not in, a, not in a like, oh, Jesus did so much for me, I owe him. But in a like understanding that great weight it makes me love him so much that he'd be willing and joyfully. That there was joy knowing what this would do for his people, his brothers and sisters, his family. You can see some of this, not just as we see. We often talk about this moment, right, on a cross in a tomb. But you see this condemnation, the weight of this on him as he's in the garden. As he sits right before he's arrested, as he is the contemplating and thinking and feeling all that he knows is about to be laid on him and is even starting to be laid on him. Let's just, just hear this account. This is um, from Matthew 26. This is a moment where Jesus is with his disciples and he goes into a garden to pray to the Lord right before he's arrested, which then leads to his torture, his crucifixion, ultimately, thank God, his resurrection his ascension, but right before that, he feels it. It's a moment I, I want, as you read this, I want you to feel, uh, understand it, but also know like he went through this. And I think there might be a moments in this that you have felt this. He knows what this is like. Then Jesus went with them to a place called Gethsemane. And he said to his disciples, sit here while I go over and pray. And taking with him, Peter and the two sons uh, of Zebedee, he began to be sorrowful and troubled. Can imagine it's like words aren't strong enough. Then he said to them, My soul is very sorrowful, even to death. He, he feels so sorrowful that it's like as close to death as you can be. Have you, have you felt that? He knows what that feels like. Remain here and watch with me. And going a little further, he fell on his face and prayed, saying, My father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. He says, this is so hard. If there's another way, is there any way not to do this? But I know there isn't. And, and, and I want to follow your will. I want to follow your plan because his plan, we know from other passages, his plan is what ultimately rescues us all. And he came to the disciples and found them sleeping. And he said to Peter, so could you not watch with me one hour? Watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. It's interesting, huh? It's like all over the place. Our spirit is willing. I do things I don't want to do. The flesh is weak. Again, for the second time, he went away and prayed, my father, if this cannot pass, um, if this cannot pass unless I drink it, your will be done. He's willing to drink this cup, uh, this picture that we see throughout scripture, this cup of wrath, this image of like drinking in the wrath, the the condemnation, the punishment. And again, he came and found them sleeping for their eyes were heavy. So leaving them again, he went away and prayed for a third time, saying the same words again. This is over and over. He's going, this is so hard. I'm so troubled. I almost, it almost kills me how sad I am. And then he came to the disciples and said to them, sleep and take your rest later on. 
See, the hour is at hand, and the Son of Man is betrayed into the hands of sinners. Rise, let us be going. See, my betrayer is at hand. I, I like that line. That line makes me, uh, this is just Drew. Drew imagining and imagining in movie scenes, imagining Jesus saying, my betrayer is at hand. And I think initially we go, oh, Judas is walking up to betray him. But I wonder if there's a, a little glance at the rest of the disciples of like, I know you will. And I know you really have in your sin betrayed me as well. So now we know from this, we see this physically hurting, emotionally deeply pained, alone, betrayed Jesus. Condemnation, feeling the weight of that in every sense. We hear in Hebrews, we have this high priest who understands our suffering. He really understands our suffering. He feels this condemnation. And this is what we can look to, is a, is a God who says, I'm willing to go through this and take what you deserved so that you could be free. That you, my spirit could be in you, which would change you. Martin Luther uh, describes it this way. Look to the wounds of Jesus, to the blood he has shed for you. It is there that God's grace will appear to you. Instead of making yourself a martyr for your sins, cast yourself into the arms of the Redeemer. Confide in him and the justice of his life. In expiation of his death, do not draw back. God is not irritated against you. It is you who are irritated against God. Listen to the Son of God. He became a man to give you the assurance of divine favor. He says to you, thou art my sheep. Thou hearest my voice. No one shall snatch these from my hand. When we look at this moment of the condemnation laid on Jesus, it reminds us uh, of the great gift of grace that we have. It's, it's incredible. That's why we talk about it a lot, because it reminds us and uh, restores us. And it's one of the things that brings our heart life when we understand that great love and care that he has for us. Okay, as we move on to the end of the passage here, by sending his own son in the likeliness of sin, we heard this, he condemns sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. In order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us. Now this could, if we're not careful, and actually has been in church history, used as a passage to say Jesus has saved us ultimately, but we continue to sin. And so now make sure we walk in righteous, the righteous requirements of the law which how quick it could turn back to us going, okay, so now I got to behave. I got to do the right thing. So God will keep taking the condemnation, will keep me on his team, won't get upset again. But if we read, if we read all of Romans up to this point, you, you couldn't read that because Romans over and over keeps telling us something different, this great news of grace. And that this is saying that he's changed us. He came in the flesh as a person. So he'd pay the price for people and now he has fulfilled through his righteous acts and fulfilled the law in this and with us. In fact, Tim Keller explains it like this, how there's a difference here. Uh, and I really like it. So he says there's this difference in the spirit of the law and the spirit um, of God in here. He says, one of those would be you committed a crime and, uh, and are, it got in trouble for it. This condemnation that you were speeding and you got pulled over and that police officer is saying, you broke a law and now you have to pay a fine or whatever that would be. You broke a law, you pay a fine. There's like a disconnect in relationship there 
there also can almost be like not even repentance because you go, oh, okay, I'll just pay a fine. Uh, there's also in there a sneakiness of like, almost how could I find a way next time to get around this or do it differently? Tim Keller says, what God is saying here now is he's changed how it works. And now this isn't about breaking a law. It's about wounding a heart. And so now if you sin, the sin against, let's say, a person. She said, imagine if you're in a marriage and you sin against your spouse. If I sin against my wife, I would go to Kelly and it would be a very different thing than like, there is a rule and you broke it and now I'm upset. You have to do the dishes every night for a week. Everything's good, right? Uh, I go, oh yeah, I can just do the dishes. Almost doesn't make me not want to sin. It just makes me go like, well, have to wait. I'm willing to do just dishes for a week if I can do that. He's saying the changes in you are relationships. So now I've wounded a heart of a person I dearly love. And so now my uh, actions, my life, the ways of my life, like we heard in Ezekiel, change. And I want to follow the ways of the Lord because I love the Lord. Because he is my God who came to rescue me. Because my heart has come alive and it's flesh again, or flesh. And so when I hurt, I sin against a person, when I turn away, it's, it's actually a person now where I want to go embrace and restore. I might still feel ashamed or I, I still hurt a person, but the condemnation of like your punishment and, and you, almost your value and your identity changes, saying, no, 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 this now we say, yeah, I am, I'm broken and I, sh- I hurt you. And we want to restore a relationship of a wounded heart instead of just uh, paying the price for breaking a law. And now our life becomes one that we can't wait to find ways to love this person. I want to obey God's call to me and my, the commands to me because I uh, adore him and understand, oh, you are for me. And the way you've set up life is for me. And so really, in order to be people who walk in the way of the Lord, we become people who first understand that right now there's no condemnation and that we now have been brought into relationship with a God. We don't follow rules because they get us to God and we follow him because we love him and can't love to be with him and understand he has our best. Instead of saying, I did not do enough. I got to do more. We're sitting in our cell. What else can I do, Lord? So that you'll bring peace to me and you'll actually care for me. We go, oh, you have brought that. I want to be with you and obey you. Well, as we get here to the end, I think this is a question that a, a friend brought up to me this week. Uh, he said, hey, I've really been thinking about this passage. And I've been thinking about how often I, I like bring condemnation on myself. How quickly I do that. And it actually has helped me identify maybe the things that are more important to me than the Lord. And, and things that I believe maybe have more power than God saying, there's no condemnation now for you. Christ has done the work to rescue you, to pay the price and you say, yeah, but I'm not good at this thing. So I'm, I deserve this punishment. You, you put these things higher. So he said this, which is, I think, very helpful. How do we bring condemnation to ourselves? So maybe just a way practically to consider what this looks like. So maybe feeling condemnation might feel like this. Maybe saying this to yourself. Maybe even hearing this from others. Uh, or maybe not hearing it, but assuming maybe others were saying this. That you're terrible, that you didn't do enough. That you should have done better. 
being consumed by like the, I should have done that better. I should have done that better all day as you drive home, as you're in your house, as you're laying in bed. Why did I do, why can't I do that different? Not be able to shake that. I'm worthless. I'm unlovable. I deserve punishment for this. Almost creating, sometimes we create punishments to like get ourselves off the hook. Oh, I, I'm terrible at this. And I'll do these things and now at least I made up for it. Well, and I was thinking of what areas I do this. After I do this, I feel condemned. I feel like I've broken something and I deserve punishment. And it, often it goes so deep into my identity. I am unlovable. I am worthless. I am not enough. And they're very simple things. It might be like you just go to school and after a class, you go, I went after school today. I felt the weight of like, gosh, what were you thinking? How quickly I went, oh, maybe I'm putting a lot of identity in my schoolwork or my, as a student, maybe I went to work and I left and I went, why couldn't you do better? What were you thinking in that meeting? Why did you say those words? Why? And maybe you felt that because someone said that. Hey, could you maybe do better? Could you turn it up a little bit? Instead of like starting with like, I do not, there's no condemnation because of Christ. He has changed me. I'm a new person. He's given me identity. And so I could actually not be great at work. And that's not going to like train wreck my afternoon. I don't leave with a weight on me, a darkness, a cloud covering me. If you're a parent, it's probably at least daily, what, maybe by the hour. After I parent, I go, what was I doing? I can't shake this. You're a terrible parent. I'm trying to quick Google another parenting book so I can figure out how to hone my skills so I can be the ultimate parent to get my identity from that. There's a condemnation that I put on myself, a weight, a weightiness, a dark cloud because I didn't do it enough. I didn't do it better. My identity is there. I go to, go to work. Oh, we got double work on here. Look at that. I messed that up. Drew, you're terrible for putting it on there twice. What are you thinking? That's funny. I wish I had done that on purpose. That would have been a cool little bonus illustration. So now I'm just talking to a friend. I talk to a friend and afterwards I say, why did you say that or why didn't you say that oh and then oh, and then the weight uh, on me of all the things that i'm causing now for them or didn't cause for them and then all, all of that happens of uh, i go oh i'm like worshiping relationships and friends and not resting and celebrating confetti's not going off as i remember the goodness of god and the condemnation that's been relieved for me the ultimate punishment's been taken for me I think even, here's a sneaky one. Even in reading my Bible, I go, oh, good good work, Drew. That was only a couple of minutes, though. Man, God's not very happy with you. Or you, how many days in a row have you missed? Or you're not reading, it, it, didn't, it wasn't very magical. You read it and like, I don't even know what to do with this passage. And, and I start feeling this weight. Oh, God's going to be upset. Or maybe my, my small group's upset. Or there's just like, we, we layer on this like I'm not a good enough. It's so important because so quickly we turn from celebrating, shooting off confetti to a, the gray cloud rolling in over and over again. And how often we get to continue to turn back, turn back, turn back and hear that good gospel news. So was, as I end our time here, uh, this actually happened to one of Luther's friends. Um, There's a guy by the name of Jerome. This is in 1530. So a few years ago, his friend Jerome, who was an old family friend, he lived with the Luther family. Um, in fact, he tutored his kids. He wrote to him and said, I'm having a really hard time. I'm really in a spiritually 
despair. Like I feel the cloud. And so Luther writes this letter to him. I think it's helpful. I'll put the end of it, the part I really want to see. But here's generally, he says, Excellent Jerome, you ought to rejoice in this temptation of the devil to be in despair, to feel condemnation, because it's a certain sign that God is merciful to you. You say that the temptation is heavier than you can bear and that you fear that it will so break and beat you down as you drive to despair and blasphemy. I know this this uh, wile of the devil. If he cannot break a person with his first attack, he tries by persevering to wear him out and weaken him until the person falls and confesses beaten, uh, himself beaten. Whenever this temptation comes to you, avoid entering into a uh, dispute with the devil and do not allow yourself to dwell on those deadly thoughts. For to do so is to do nothing short of yielding to the devil and letting him have his way with you. Try as hard as you can to despise those thoughts, which induced by the devil in some sort of temptation struggle, bring contempt. The best and the easiest way of winning over the devil is to laugh at your adversary. I love this. By all means, also flee solitude. Is that so true? How quickly we go, we get alone and just keep heaping it on. How quickly that Satan wants us to be alone so we don't have others to tell us that good truth. Flee solitude for the devil watches and lies in wait for you. Most of all, when you are alone, this devil is conquered by mocking and despising you, not by resisting and arguing with you. Do not be alone. He says this, here's his recommendation. When the devil throws out sins up to us and declares we deserve death and hell, we ought to speak this. I admit that I deserve death and hell. What of it? Does this mean that I shall be sentenced to eternal damnation? By no means. That's the word Paul keeps using in Romans. By no means. For I know the one who suffered and made a satisfaction in my behalf. His name is Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Where he is, there I shall also be. What a, I love it. He doesn't say, tell the devil it's not true. He says, I do deserve death. But I don't get it. It's not mine because Christ has already come. And where that Christ is, is where I will be this would be my encouragement to us today that we're going to feel this this week, today even. <laughs> and we can say, I do deserve death. I, I am not great at that. But Christ has paid the price so I don't live under the cloud <clears throat> of worthlessness, of death. I'm going to invite our worship team up here. Um, we're going to take an opportunity to worship, continue worship together and singing. Um, a couple questions to, to ask yourself in response to this good news is um, do, you, do you know the one who took on your condemnation? It's an opportunity at any moment you could say, Jesus, I believe. And you put faith in that work. Yes, you did do that. And maybe even just to consider where are you feeling that weight? Where is that cloud rolling in? When does that happen in your life? Maybe why? Why are you feeling that? Who speaks words of life to you? Do you find yourself alone? How important to have those who speak good gospel truth over us because often in that moment we're being deceived and when you're being deceived you're being deceived and so how do you how do we become people who are those people for you that remind you of gospel i think sometimes we have good people around us and they actually speak condemnation over us they remind us of how good we aren't um but not remind us of how much we're loved 
And what would it look like to be a person uh, to be, be people of grace and not condemnation? What does it look like to be known as people who when we're sitting uh, around a table with people, don't continue to heap on, but maybe the people who bring some grace. That's a gift to people around us. And what a thing to be known for and a thing that I think would draw people uh, to Jesus. A few ways we uh, respond is through communion. That's remembering the death and resurrection, remembering that that death that Jesus took. Uh, we do that out in the hallways. There's two tables. Um, you can go out there. Uh, we ask that you're just a, a believer, that you follow Jesus so it's meaningful to you. Uh, and you can do that um, at any point as we're singing here uh, out there. We also sing together to remind ourselves of the good news. There's people who will pray for you in the back of the room. They'd love to. So please take that opportunity to have a friend just pray uh, good news over you. You also can give in response. And so we can always do that. Uh, there's a box at the communion table. You can do that online or on the app. Um, I, I want to take an opportunity to actually um, do this. I'm going to invite, there's four of us that are going to, four people coming up. If you guys want to come up now. So this last weekend, um, we, or two weekends ago, like I said, we had our, our uh, men's and women's retreats. And at those retreats, you guys can just stand like up on the steps. It's great. Um, at those retreats, we took an opportunity to actually write down a whole bunch of truth that, that we turn to when we're believing lies. So what Luther did with his friend Jerome, um, we got the opportunity just to do together. Many of you were there. Um, and I didn't, want to, I didn't want any of you to miss out on that. And so we just have a list here. Um, Sadie and Annie are going to share some of the truths that our women uh, said are ones they hold on to throughout their week. And, and Nick and Jeremy are going to share some of the ones the men I uh, had, there are many of the same truths, no surprise. Um, and they're just going to pray it over our church as we start this time together as an opportunity just to remind us of those good truths, to cast that dark cloud out of this room and out of our lives and to just send us into a time um, of worship. So if you'd stand, um, our brothers and sisters here are going to pray for us and remind us of the good news that we have in Christ. Thanks, Annie. Here we go. <laughs> Lord, um, your word says in John 14, 27, um, peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you. I do not give to you as the world gives. Do not let your heart be troubled and do not be afraid. God, help us believe your truth. Help us not walk in fear. Lord, there's nothing that we can do to make you love us any more or less. Your love is complete for us. We are fearfully and wonderfully made intentionally by you. You will make all things new. You've said that you will allure your church, pursue her, clothe her, redeem her. Matthew 6, 26 says, Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store, store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than a? And from 2 Corinthians 4, 16. Therefore, we do not lose heart. Though outwardly we are wasting away, Yet inwardly, we are being renewed day by day. Lord, we thank you that you give us all the grace and strength we need in each of those days, and we do not need to fear tomorrow. You have said in Galatians 5, 1, for freedom Christ has set us free. 
Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. From 2 Peter 5, 7, cast your anxiety on you. Lord, you care for us. And as we have seen in your suffering, you understand our suffering. Matthew eleven twenty eight says, Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Jesus has a plan for us, and that plan is best. We are okay in Jesus. If God is for us, who can be against us? God will give me all the grace and strength that I need. I don't need to fear tomorrow. He saved us not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy, by washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit. But as for me, it is good to be near God. And Heavenly Father, we thank you that we get to be still because you are our refuge. Um, uh, especially in a time where we can feel that we can be attacked on all sides, whether internally or externally, Lord. Uh, we thank you that you are strong and that you are good and that though all the things either within us or around us change, that you stay exactly the same. And we thank you that that is a sweet balm as we remember that about you and that you've always been good to us, Lord, and you always have been for us and always will be for us. Um, we thank you that if even if we do fail, um, that we are beloved by you and that you give us our value and that that's not found from within ourselves or what we do, but for uh, the inherent value that you assign to us, Lord, because you are good and what you've done for us. Uh, we thank you that we are your royal priesthood, as it says in 1 Peter 2, 5 and 9, um, and therefore we have consistent access to you, um, that our value is not dependent on our productivity and that everything will be made new, as it says in Revelation 22. And uh, we thank you, Lord, that there, there is now, therefore, no condemnation for those who are in you, Jesus. And help us to celebrate that and to walk in that peace this week um, and to worship you in response. And we love you. In your name, Jesus, we pray. Amen. Amen.